Welcome to Two Girls, One Mic. My name is Cotton Tanger and I'm here with my fellow host, Dobby Smock. Hello. You'll notice if you've listened to our other episodes that there is a name change. We haven't kicked Gingham Frill out of the band. This is not Spice Girls, she's not Ginger Spice. Gingham has taken a step back because she is just not enjoying doing the podcast and this was supposed to be something fun for us to do so if she's not enjoying it we're not going to make her do it anymore so we are two girls one mic sounding more like the pun two girls one cup than ever (laughs) (laughs) so I just wanted to start the show with public service announcement maybe we are recording this on the 6th of June 2020 don't know about you Dobby but it kind of feels to me like the world is on fire. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels like that at the moment, especially with all the news that's ha- flying on a lot of social media. It seems like every time I go on there, it, there's someone spouting new hatred, new information. This is my opinion. And it is, it's definitely, it's painful to see. It is. So we're dealing with a global pandemic that is infecting the entire world that pandemic is racism (laughs) and we're also dealing with the slightly lesser of the two evils i feel of the covid19 pandemic as well if you have been living under a rock i will just explain what's going on as best as i can on the 25th of may 2020 an unarmed black man named george floyd was killed uh, in public with no shame from the officers involved he was arrested for passing what was alleged a counterfeit $20 bill. I've seen things that say the bill was actually a genuine one, which I think makes, I think that's just salt in the wound of what happened. The officer who has the most time on the force, I think he was on the force for 19 years, was the one who sat with his knee on George's neck while George's hands were behind his back in handcuffs. He kneeled on that man's neck for close to nine minutes, didn't acknowledge that the man was saying, I can't breathe. And he looked at the camera with a smirk on his face and uttered defiance. And rightly so, the world has erupted in outrage at what's happened. That's a fair description of what's going on. Yeah, I feel like it was the the straw that broke the camel's back. A lot of people have been covered. It's the tip of the iceberg. A lot of people who are questioning it, like why this person and not other people, it's the feelings of all what's happened in the past, but it's all been focused to this one point. Yeah, and I think... No, no, it's all right. It's it's just it's one too many and people have had enough. And I think nowadays in the day of well, in the light of social media, more of this is becoming becoming more public knowledge. Yeah, definitely. And people are feeling more like they they're able to do something in this in this day and age. Yeah, because camera phones are a thing and it's not something that happens in the dark and shadowy alleys. It happens in public on a main road in front of a crowd of people. I think one of the things that's pissing me off the most, one of the comments that I keep seeing is, George Floyd shouldn't be martyred. He had a criminal record and he was being arrested. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, George Floyd did have a criminal record. He's not become a martyr. He is, as you said, he is the straw that's broken the camel's back. Not so long ago, a woman called Breonna Taylor, who was sleeping in her bed, was killed when police broke into her apartment with what they call a no-knock warrant, so they don't have to identify themselves as police officers, they broke in and they shot her eight times while she was sleeping. If your point of outrage there is purely, 
oh, that poor woman. Look at it this way. They're upset. Their defence is we've broken into the wrong apartment. If they'd broken into the right apartment, they still would have shot an unarmed sleeping black person eight times. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's especially troubling when you think about I mean, it is for anybody the fact that they're breaking into an apartment it is systemic racism through and through that sounds that sounds crazy the fact that they're able to do that without identifying themselves even if she wasn't asleep that made that for me makes no sense especially with the fact that if she's asleep she's putting up no resistance why the hell do they shoot her eight times but then also the fact that i think if anybody if anybody broke into my place or there was somebody there that i i didn't know i would lose my shit you know, and I would probably, I'd probably make quite a, a scene and be shouting, screaming, throwing stuff, probably running away. Yeah, I don't understand what warrants being shot once, not even as a, yeah, you know, yeah. It's not like she was putting up a fucking fight in her sleep, is it? Yeah. And I think the thing that even one shot's a bit too much with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously one shot's way too much anyway, but still. But I think one of the things I'd like to highlight with what you just said there, um, we are two white women living in Britain. And mm-hmm. you've just said, if anyone broke into my house, if the police broke into my house, I'd be furious. I would shout, I would yell, I would run away. You are very unlikely to be shot mm-hmm. by them. Oh, yeah because of the colour of your skin, because of the colour of my skin. I think one one of the, I suppose, I don't want to say positives, because I think that's too strong a word. One of the less negative, we'll say, things that have come out of this is that I think there's a lot of white people whose eyes are starting to be opened and we're looking for ways to become allies. Mm-hmm. And I know that you and I have both been reading and consuming as much literature, podcasts, audiobooks by people of colour as possible. A, so we can, I would say, sympathise with their struggle because we're never going to be able to empathise because empathy suggests that you can put yourself in that person's position. That's a, a good thing to kind of to make people remember is that yeah to sympathize means that you that you care about what somebody's going through but to empathize is to understand what that person's going through we're never going to understand yeah so i downloaded an absolute fuckload of books that i've shared with you so that we can i guess also arm ourselves with statistics with fact-based information so that when we see something on facebook or come across a person in real life who's spouting these racist ideals that are steeped in stereotypes and misinformation that we can say "Mm, actually this is how it is yeah because i mean i think that goes for everybody no matter who you are if you of any color you're going to find somebody that is going to hold an opinion and that wants their voice to be heard especially on social media nowadays yeah so it's I think it's quite important to arm yourself or to to actually to have the facts or the the understanding the knowledge behind it as opposed to just this is my belief yeah words can be twisted it's important to be very clear uh, especially when dealing with people who who then when they feel like they're backed in the corner straight away they are gonna go to the you know the the stereotypes yeah they are there was there's a couple of arguments that i've been having on facebook the the first one is the response to black lives matter with all lives matter or blue lives matter and i've seen so many good illustrated examples of why that is a stupid thing to say for example uh, there's a man on the floor going ow my leg and the man saying we need to help this man his leg is sore and there's a guy stood up going what about my legs? 
Mm -hmm. It just shows that the, the, again, the privilege that we have to sit from this position where we can say, well, you have to include me, but we actively exclude people of color. It, it baffles me. So I was having an argument on Facebook with somebody who um, just kept regurgitating stereotypical sound bites they'd heard elsewhere. For example, black people commit crime against black people. And it's like, well, yeah, white people also commit crime against white people like, i don't understand what your point is by saying that we all commit crimes against people with the same skin color as us um the argument is that when a black person commits a crime whether it's against a white person or a black person the system treats them unfairly compared to a white person who's committed the same crime i watched a documentary called The 13th on Netflix, which I would recommend to everybody. And they said that one in three black men in America are likely to go to prison in their lifetimes versus one in 17 white people, which is shocking when you consider that the population of America consists of around 70% white people and about 13% black people. So how is it more black people are going to prison? Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't. And then another thing that I've seen is if black people are so upset about their way of life, they should work harder, do better, blah, blah, blah. And some of the stats that I pulled up to argue with an idiot on Facebook to show that the system, again, is stacked against black people. 10.1% of white Americans live in poverty versus 20.8% of black Americans. Again, keep in mind that the population of America is 70% white and around 13, 14% black. For every dollar a white American makes, his black counterpart earns 87 cents. 42% of white Americans go to college versus 34% of black Americans. Of those, 46% of black people are likely to complete their degrees versus 72% of white people. And also black students accrue much more debt than white students. Uh, which I just don't understand how that's possible in a world or in countries that claim equality is real. We're not living in a post-racial time. It's it's one of that always thing, if you treat somebody like an animal, don't be surprised when they turn around and bite you. Have you ever seen the film Crash? I think so. Yeah, it won the Oscar, didn't it? Like in there, I remember watching that and there was a there's a scene where black man, I can't remember who, who plays him, but he's given a very passionate speech about how I'm fed up with the system, it needs to change, they treat us all like thugs, they treat us like criminals, and I've had enough of it. And then by the sort of the end of the scene, he kind of turns around and it's like, he's about to rob a place. Watching it, I remember thinking like, it's, it's awful the fact that he's been treated that way to basically to not expect anything more. It's a, they, they treat us like criminals, so why not? He's, be, he's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is just incredibly, I was like, it's incredibly depressing because I was like, also, he's unable to better himself and get himself out of this cycle of hate. Which I thought it was quite, it was quite powerful and I thought it opened up quite a lot of discussion. But then I thought about it as well and thought, I bet a lot of people will be watching this and going, well, there you go. All blacks are just criminals, aren't they? Uh, I'm reading a book at the moment called How to Be an Anti-Racist by uh, a man called Ibram X. Kendi. I would recommend it to anybody who wants to get a better understanding of systemic racism and what barriers that puts in place for people of colour. 
the, the opening chapter of this book is about his childhood when he had won a competition about preaching and he's at the final round of this competition and he gives this really impassioned speech where he lays all of the blame at the feet of black people. We should be working harder. We should be setting a better example. We should be going doing this. We should be going doing that, blah, blah, blah. What he fails to say in that speech is we are fighting against policies and procedures within this country that are inherently racist. And he now recognizes that as an adult who has become himself an anti-racist. And he can look back at experiences he's had and realized that he was being persecuted, but he didn't realize because he'd internalized all of the racism of his people. And he just thought that's the way things were. And a lot of the sociological papers and research that was done in the early nineties just further helps black people think that it's their fault. So it's stuff like black people are less likely to be good fathers, black people are more likely to be lazy or work shy or bad citizens. And if you think if you are told something like that every day that you're not worthy or a valuable member of society, like you said, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you were going to say, that's right. So why should I bother trying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whenever people say, well, you know, like, they're, oh, they're angry all the time, and we like that, with all that that you just said, I think if all that was put on me, I'd be pissed off as well mm. all the time. I think I hold resentment for a lot of uh, a lot of government, so, like, police, you know, lawmakers, people like that. I'd hold grudges. I can sympathise. I've, I've never had to go through that, and I said I... I can definitely count that as one of my privileges. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the times of slavery are not that far back in our history. Uh, I saw a post on Twitter that kind of made me go, fuck, as a 65-year-old woman who was the first black person at her grade school, she is 65, which means it's still in our recent history where there are still people alive that can say I was the first black person to go to this school. You think that segregation was a thing that's from centuries ago but it's not and I think you showed me this really interesting TikTok um, video the other day of a timeline of the last 400 years and it shows when slavery was legal and then when black people were considered our equals even though they're still not so they've had maybe 40 years of where they're allowed to sit in the same uh, spaces as white people yet we're judging them against white people who have never experienced that kind of um, systemic racism and profiling it's shocking and when I was at uni I did my dissertation on three periods of American history using works by female black authors and I came across something that um, genuinely made me feel sick and it's called the three-fifths compromise and it was um, a decision reached by American state delegates in 1787 and it was how they counted the population so a white person was one person a slave 
accounted for three fifths of a white person. Mm -hmm. So that yeah, they're physically counted as a body, but their worth is. And I don't think that mentality has gone away. Wow, that Jesus. black people are inherently less valuable than white people. And that was 1787. You know, it's 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 shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Um, but I think again, going back to what I said before, we've started to consume a lot more literature films podcasts by black people and i think that has helped us confront our own white privilege which is never a, a comfortable thing yeah i think i think a lot of people of privilege i read that as white people they think that the whole black lives matter movement means that they're gonna lose their way of life they're gonna lose their comforts and i think a lot of white people need to, well I said a lot of people they need to realize that they're not actually being targeted just because these people are protesting about something that that you're not a part of doesn't mean you're on the opposite side it's mm -hmm. as a lot of people have been sort of shouting about on social media it's not black versus white it's not everyone versus the police it's everybody versus racists it is it is I said it's leveling the playing field it's not that we it's not that you're going to lose anything in particular it's just that People of colour want to be given the same same rights that w we take for granted every day. Do you know what makes me feel sick? I watched this TED talk um, yesterday, and he this this black man was comparing the news stories that we see now versus the the news stories of lynchings back when lynchings were illegal. So it'd say something like business owner lynches black man for for protecting his son from a beating from a white crowd now it's white woman calls police on black man because he was trying to get into his own apartment and she didn't believe he lived there that is privilege and do you seen that video of the the white woman in the park mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if you've seen it i would definitely recommend viewing it it is yeah. Uh, there's a black bird watcher who's in the park to look at birds, um, birds in the literal sense, not women. <laughs> so he's there to look at birds and there is a woman there whose dog is off the lead. There are signs all over this particular park that says dogs cannot be off the lead. So he's asking the woman politely. He remains calm all throughout this video. Please put your dog on the lead please put your dog in the lead. And her response is to call the police and say, there is a black man threatening me in the park. Please come. There is a black man going to hurt me in the park. And not only is she putting that black man at risk of being shot by the police, she's also strangling her fucking dog. Why? That is privilege through and through, that you can call the police because you feel uncomfortable. But also, who, who's filming in that? The black man. Exactly. The fact that before even that altercation kind of takes place, a lot of the time, as I said now, social media has definitely helped people make, raise awareness and things like that. But that wouldn't, without a camera phone, that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have made the news. No, 100% not. If you went to the local park to us, you would never feel that you had to film and an exchange with a person so that you could have that video evidence to show that the other person was in the wrong because if you didn't have that video evidence it would immediately be assumed that you were in the wrong and you could be killed state sanctioned homicide because another person says that you did something wrong and you're not believed when you say i didn't do it 
So yeah, like um, one article that really sort of stood out for me was this uh, this college professor. I think his name was Steve Locke. He was saying that like he's he put up a picture of what he what he wore to work uh, that day. Uh, it was on the way to get on the way to get food, and he was detained by, detained by police basically because he fit the profile of somebody who supposedly had, had robbed a house in the area. And so he's a, he's a college professor. He's actually wearing his lanyard as well, which I, I just, that for me just baffles me. And the police basically pull him over and say, you fit this description, we're going to question you regardless. All throughout this, he's been, he's been very polite. He's answering every question. He's incredibly polite. I no especially with with white people the amount of videos online where you see people put up a fight against police i know so many people around the area that i grew up that as soon as you mentioned the police they'd straight away be you know squaring up to them as well as him being incredibly polite he completely cooperated with the police with that and another thing that broke my heart with that with reading that was the fact that while all this was happening a a black woman across the road saw what was happening and stopped basically to watch if to watch what was happening and to basically to as as witness to make sure that everything was going to be okay with him you know that his thoughts as soon when he saw the black woman across the road saying please don't leave please don't leave yeah i mean if you look at descriptions um that police go off if it's so if the suspect is a white man it's like oh he's five foot six wearing a striped uh, polo neck with slacks he's got a, a bit shaved in his eyebrow he's got um spiky black hair he's wearing an earring or oh, we saw a tattoo on his forearm if it's a black suspect black five foot eight that's literally it and every black person they come across they think that that description gives them carte blanche to interrogate them because you fit the description I'm pretty sure if there was a suspect going around where we live who was white, a woman, and five foot five, that's both me and you. And I think the most heartbreaking things that I've seen are videos of particularly young black men who are talking about things that their parents told them they must and must not do in public. Um, for example, never go out without your shirt off. The park near where we live is full of white men with their shirts off, which um, it's not Ibiza, mate, it's gross. No one wants to see your pigeon nips. But if that was a black man, then they'd be stopped. Uh, don't wear a do-rag. Make sure you've got your ID in your pocket. Don't stay out after a certain amount of time. If you get pulled over by the police before the police officers got out of the car, have your registration and your license on that dashboard, hands on the wheel so that they can't say, we thought you were pulling a the gun out. The amount of videos where partners or, you know, somebody else that's in the car, they've had to film it to make sure that the police abide by it and that they don't try and plant something on the driver or they, they do anything wrong. I mean, I don't know in... In the US, I don't know, do they have what the, in the UK, they're, they're supposed to have? I actually, I, I don't know, clearly, I don't, I don't interact with the police enough. Because we don't have to, because that's a privilege of being white. Yeah, and with all that whole thing of, oh, well, if they just abide by the law, they'll just be safe. That's clearly not the case, though, because as especially, like, with the examples that we've seen, though that person, with Steve Locke, cooperating with the law, and having to be so specific as, 
have you got any have you got any id on you and he's going yeah it's in my pocket do you mind if i get if i reach into my pocket if one of us was to be asked for our id we go oh yeah yeah here here you go here you go and by that point i would have already reached my hand in my pocket without the fear that i'm going to be shot or that i'm going to be tackled or shouted at to remove my hands and put them where i can put them where they can see them there's um, a documentary series on netflix at the moment called trial by media and i think it's the second episode where it talks about amadou diallo i think he's called excuse me if i've got that wrong oh the yeah is that the yeah i know i know which one he's an immigrant from Germany who had come to the uh, to come to the united states to do his degree um and he was in the doorway of his apartment building and saw some police arrive in unmarked cars he reached into his pocket to get his wallet out because i imagine this isn't the first time that he's been approached by police and he knows they're going to ask me for my id they're going to ask me what i'm going what i'm doing here and before he managed to get that wallet out of his pocket he had been shot 44 times now you tell me not you <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you had to, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> when I keep hearing, the police are only doing their job. It's not the police's fault. Or why is everyone so upset about George Floyd? Because the people who killed him have been charged. The people who killed Amadou Diallo were charged. They moved the, the case to a different jurisdiction so that the, the makeup of the jury would be less black. And all of those officers, all of those officers who put 44 bullets into that young man were acquitted. Now you tell me why people are outraged still, even though George Floyd's murderers have been arrested. And what did you say the other day? You made a really nice comparison about what usually happens when an officer shoots an unarmed black man and public uproar ensues. It was just often they get put on paid leave and wait for this all to blow over. And then they get moved from that precinct and it's like it never happened essentially which i kind of i compared to with catholic priests when when there was a scandal or whenever there was an issue a lot of the time that was what happened we'll just point out then issue with pedophilia. Oh, yeah the issue yeah the issue of child abuse and pedophilia you don't hear about a Catholic priest going on trial. You hear about how the Vatican has just squirreled them away somewhere. We've decided that they don't need to face justice. Just some long, hard praying in the Vatican will do. Yeah, and as much as, much as the, the Pope nowadays seems to be a bit more easygoing, it's still not, it's still not been dealt with. No, and if you look, actually, the Catholic Church is a really good comparison when we're talking about the system the system in america the, the police system we'll say is inherently racist the catholic church is inherently avoidant of um allowing <laughs> what do i say the catholic church is inherently comfortable with um, their priests being paedophiles and not facing justice. It's it's a disease in the system in the police and it's a, a disease in the system of the church. And I think you might join either the church or the police force thinking that you will make a change, 
but every time you put on that badge and you go out and arrest somebody you are enforcing laws and a system that is racist it's systemically racist so therefore you are upholding the system and are racist i'm sorry you are sorry i'm just i'm thinking about what you just said then like yeah like it's just it's just come out today that well like that video that surfaced i think it was yesterday of that that man who was protesting that 75 year old man who he wasn't even protesting he was returning a helmet to the police officers oh they go do you know what i didn't know that but i have seen the video though of yeah of him being pushed over and you can see blood pooling around the back of his head if you listen you can hear when his head hits the floor as well god jesus but and then you can see one police officer attempt to lean down to see if he's okay and the rest of them pushing him along mm -hmm. it's not their problem and then the uh i don't know if you've seen what's happened but um the chief of police said that he tripped and fell and then two hours after, once the video had surfaced showing that he was pushed to the ground, well, sure. the two officers involved. Push is way too, you know, he was shoved. Yeah, shoved, shoved to the ground. The two police officers involved were put on unpaid suspension while it was investigated. Now, yesterday, it was revealed that the 57 police officers who are trained for riot uh, situations have resigned, not to support the man on the floor to say this is outrageous this shouldn't be happening but because the two officers who um could have killed that man have been suspended and the the union leader has gone on file saying i've seen that video he tripped and fell if you're gonna really get into the nitty-gritty of it you, and then they claim that yeah he tripped and fell yeah they tripped and fell because he was shoved they tripped and fell because he was shoved backwards and yes they sort of the momentum of his body fell but went backwards he may have tripped up on a flagstone because he was pushed or because he was shoved. if you're going to get into the physics of it and if you're going to get really into it he wouldn't have been going backwards if some if a force from somebody's hand hadn't have shoved him yeah and the, the, the thing is uh, older people their center of balance isn't what it used to be so i've seen people go he was only given a light tap it does not matter he's 75 years old what are you doing pushing an elderly person and then saying he tripped and fell it's part of the job do you do that to everybody in the street the, somebody that's walking towards you with something in the hands do you shove them go and just see your nan and see what happens to your nan hmm? i'm gonna go next door my neighbors are elderly i'll give them a shove and see what happens yeah it's just i when people start saying about with the police that i've seen interviews in the past where people have where the police officers have said uh after a while of doing this job you can become a bit jaded and that kind of stuff but what doesn't fly with me with that is the fact that well then you need retraining you need retraining all that. yeah it's like if the burnout is that bad don't fucking do the job anymore you've lost sight of what you wanted to do that. it's like a firefighter right because imagine if this was coming from a, like a firefighter or a nurse um 
oh yeah I've seen so many um alien people yeah when I first started the training this was the way we did it and this is the way I'm going to do it now if this was a medical background or if this was anywhere else even something like education it wouldn't they're constantly updating policies and they're constantly updating training to make it relevant for today so why not the police as well and especially when you're dealing with well, obviously, police, they go into hostile situations all, all the time. Things like a, a house call for domestic abuse or something like that. But anything, a lot of the time, when, when police are involved, it's not a pleasant, it's not a pleasant reason. So, no, it's not. It's- and I get that they have to think on the feet, but not when thinking on your feet involves instantly pulling a gun and shooting to kill. I thought most of the time it should have been shooting to disarm, but then again, I am very fortunate enough that I don't have, have any dealings with the police. But- there's a reason why there's more than one song with the lyrics, fuck the police, but there are no songs that say, fuck the firemen, or fuck the nurses, or fuck the doctors. Especially in America, you know, the whole thing is like, yeah, it is to serve and protect. You're not protecting everybody. No, you're serving and protecting the white people, but it's not specific to America. And that's another thing that I've seen a lot on uh, Facebook. Why why are people protesting in the UK for an American problem? It's not an American problem. If you are a young black man in this country, you are 40 times more likely to have to be stopped and searched than a white man. You are 20% more likely, if you're black, to be pulled over while driving compared to a white man. Tell me that it is just an American problem, please. I think with that, a lot of that is, I guess it's, it's like nationalism. Well, as you said, it's pretty much is. It's like, well, that's not our circus, not our monkeys. But the problem is we can use COVID-19 as, you know, sort of the analogy in terms of, a, yeah, it started off in, it started off in Asia. Oh, Trump referred to it as a gift from China yesterday. He called it the unwanted gift from China. Well, he can inject himself with bleach then, can't he? I imagine it, there'd be a queue of people being like, let me do it for you. Do you know know what though? Like I said to you yesterday, one of the things that absolutely pisses me off and it really does make my blood boil is that when I learn new information, I will, I'll try and take it on board. And I've like, I've always said to you before, it really irritates you because I, I try and look at things from both sides and I try and find a medium ground. It it doesn't always work. You're the classic devil's advocate. One of the things absolutely makes my blood boil is people can't admit that they're wrong when they're wrong and i get that some people can be stubborn they've got the pride they don't want to feel like you know they've been hoodwinked or that the joke's on them when people that like to debate and like as you said with facebook arguments and stuff like that i've never seen somebody go oh i didn't think about it like that Mm. actually do you know that's a fair point you've made me look at things differently and that is the thing that really pisses me off and especially with politicians because I'd actually like to see that I'd actually like to see a politician that would go do you know what based on the information that I was given at the time I said these statements I've been given information since that proved that this was wrong it was actually incorrect and I'm sorry yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah, it's like heaven fucking forbid. But then again, most of politicians tend to be psychopaths. Or, or, or they, they've got little to no sympathy or empathy. They've, you know, it's that whole thing that the people with psychopathic traits often are, see, you know, CEOs, they're like politicians, they're, they're more likely yeah. to be the higher ups. But that is because they're willing to step on other people to get their way or get the things that they want. Yeah. 
and also in this country i can't speak for america because their system is, is wildly different to ours but most of the politicians in this country come from privately educated backgrounds mm-hmm. where they've had money growing up so the cuts that they're making won't affect people in their lives they've not been in those situations at any point in their life where they've they've witnessed these kind of injustices or the circle of friends haven't and so as a result they're in a bubble they're just they're in a protective bubble yeah and especially as i said it's like nowadays with the the information that is out there and then when people compare stuff with trump even when he first started like running for office and they were talking about how he won't release his taxes yet he insisted that obama release his taxes and his birth certificate yeah you know that kind of stuff i, I don't think you'll ever hear an apology for trump i bet even if he did get acquitted not acquitted what am i about uh <laughs> sorry i'm on a rant what was it called where like he almost got put out of office and they were looking into it impeached impeached that was it yes i bet even if trump was impeached or he actually had to stand trial for the things that he has done during office in terms of inciting riots starting a civil war i doubt he will ever apologize no 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 and the worst thing is about it as well trump could be caught with um madeline mccann in his basement and people would still like and evidence for john bernay ramsey and people would still be like madder madder it's i I just it it baffles me i was watching and i would recommend this to anybody who ever watches trump's addresses i was watching it on now this politics with a person who was fact-checking him live so he kept going on about how it's a nice number of people that have died in america from covid19 and he kept saying 105,000. the fact checker interjected saying actually it's 108,000. and in february trump told america that nobody was going to die from covid19 he said that there's been job growth because we've, we've made 2.5 million jobs they've actually lost 40 million jobs due to the the pandemic so they've regained 2.8 million that's still a negative <laughs> that's still a negative and then possibly the worst thing he said was george floyd is probably looking down on these numbers and thinking trump's doing a good job i think that's the kind of stuff that he says to himself to make him sleep at night mm. but when a black uh, journalist said to him actually black americans employment sorry when a when a black journalist said to him, actually unemployment amongst black Americans has gone up, whereas for white Americans, it's gone down. He went, shh. I was like, what the fuck? Why are people letting him speak? Yeah, because I know when like when he first came into office, a lot of people were saying that, oh, he represents the everyman. I find the stuff that he's, say- he's saying is very, it's making me feel better about myself, that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people were feeling yeah. bitter about, like Hillary represented the the same old, same old, and they wanted something to change. So I think that's what a lot of people, they, once again, a lot of the people that are very vocal on social media are often been just quickly checking stuff. It's verbal diarrhea. Not that many people that I've seen have come out and said, I voted for him, I regret it. Oh, I've seen a couple, actually. My uh, black American neighbour said her parents originally voted for Trump and really thought he stood for them. But since he's been office, in office rather, they're like, what the fuck have we done but there's a new documentary that's hit netflix it's by michael moore who did bowling for columbine it was done in 2018 and it's called 
Fahrenheit 11.9, I think. The advert that Netflix shows demonstrates that Trump did not think he was going to win and he clearly had no victory speech prepared. Everybody on stage when it was announced that he'd won was like, what? I mean, yay! <laughs> it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Look at the... There's, um. Anonymous released a load of documents last week that show Donald Trump is an alleged paedophile. Wow. He was helping Epstein on Epstein's island. I'm pretty sure he could be caught with his pants down with a dick in a pig and people would still go, Marga, Marga. Nobody is talking about this. We have a president sitting in America who has been accused of sexual assault by more than one person. He's been on record, a recording, saying that he likes to grab women by the pussies. He has said derogatory things about black people that, again, are recorded. And still, the man in the MAGA hat, he's our president. He speaks for us. I just want to say it's not just Trump. Bojo the Clown, who is sat in number 10, has been accused of very similar things as Donald Trump. He has been on record calling women who wear the full... Is it the burqa? Yeah. The one that covers everything but the eyes? And them letterboxes. He's said things calling them pickaninnies. You just have to Google Boris Johnson racism, Boris Johnson sexism, and you have the receipts there. And still, he's our Prime Minister. Ah, this is a conversation that, you know what, we could go on and on and on. And to be honest, I feel like it's been done to death. I'd like to think the people that are listening to this share similar views. <laughs> A lot of the time, whenever when I feel like this, it's as I said, it's like we're two white British females, and we're voicing our opinions because we've we've got a platform, basically this we're able to. And to be honest, we know people in our lives that have been spouting all the the stupid rubbish of all lives matter, you know, all that sort of stuff. Cotton Tango was the one that proposed actually doing this podcast. I'd like to bring it to a point where I was a bit. I was a bit uneasy about it because, as you, probably as you can hear in my voice now, I'm not fantastic when it comes to a debate. Cotton Tang is absolutely fantastic, especially with shutting that shit down. She, I, I, love, I love reading your stuff on Facebook. I swear, it always makes me it makes me smile because I feel like you're you're the person that I, I would like to be with this kind of stuff. Just you are you're a sniper with this kind of stuff. I love it. It's great, but. I, I often, as I said, once again, we'd be somebody that considers both sides before I speak. I find it's very frustrating. I felt worried that either I wasn't going to get my point across, or that I was going to come across as a white lady using her privilege. I think I've shown in this throughout that I'm aware that I have my privileges. One thing I'd like to actually, I'd like to highlight to people that listen to this is feel the fucking fit and do it anyway like I know I'm not going to get this 100% right I I know that I've not got all the facts and I think if I if I came in all guns blazing claiming I had all the facts I would be I'd be burnt I'd just it'd be instantly uh check yourself bitch (laughs) wreck yourself before you wreck yourself And Cotton Tank, she's been she's been really supportive when I've said that like I want to be an ally, but I don't know what to do. So and she's been sending me absolutely loads of stuff, which I appreciate. I'm trying to find it now, actually. One sec. So yeah, I'd like to encourage anybody out there that wants to be an ally but doesn't know what to do. I'm nervous to say anything because I've got loads to learn, and I but at least 
I'm aware that I have a lot to learn. And especially with people that all, you know, all lives matter and all that sort of bullshit. It's kind of like that they can't learn anything new. And once again, the idea of that, help, just, you know, you can admit you're wrong. It's okay to be wrong once in a while. Do you know what it reminds me of? Do you know when um, people are rescued from cults and they have to be deprogrammed and they just keep saying the same sentences that the leaders of the cult have told them to say? It kind of reminds me of that, that you are presenting them with facts to disprove what they're saying, but then they say, blah, 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 the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's a big shouting match on social media at the moment, and a lot of people are staying quiet because either they don't want to get involved, it's going to be too much effort, or they just they don't know what to say. And I feel like at this moment, one of the best things to do to arm yourself is to know the facts. And as you said, so the stuff that you've been saying today, it's stuff that we've learned recently these are feelings that I've, I've had where it's that i i have wanted to help voice my opinion but i often don't know how and so I, as as cotton Tanger said that yeah we've been reading books like literally the book i'm reading at the moment is how to argue with a racist by adam rutherford i find it it's useful because i am going to meet people in my in my life that are going to spout this bullshit at me but i, I would like to shut them down yeah but I think I think one of the things that I'm seeing quite a lot of is a silence is a privilege. We have the, the the privilege and the luxury of being able to turn off Facebook and stop seeing these things because we don't experience them, and that's a privilege. Yeah, and also silence is complicity. So you might not consider yourself to be a racist. But when you're scrolling past something on Facebook and someone has said something that you know in your heart is not right, by scrolling past, you are being complicit. Not in that you are willfully ignoring them, but by not challenging them, you're letting them assume they're right. And I think anyone who's looking to be a white ally, the fear that you have of saying the wrong thing, of expressing yourself in a way isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea that is the fear and experience of black people all the time Mm -hmm. lockdown in the uk has it has eased off a little bit and you're able to meet up with people from different households still maintaining social distancing rules and when we meet up with you for the first time in weeks this was a topic topic of conversation and internally i remember thinking to myself it's such a depressing topic. Can we talk about something else? But I didn't say it out loud because as soon as I thought it, I went, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be talked about. I went, yeah, racism is, it's, it's uncomfortable. Actually thinking about what I was going to say for this podcast has been uncomfortable because it's, it's forced me to have a look at things that I take for granted and stuff that I wouldn't have even thought of beforehand. We wanted everything that we said on this podcast to add to the conversation rather than detract from it and we didn't want to say anything that accidentally supported the ideas and ideals that the people who do keep spouting all lives matter or why aren't we talking about COVID-19 or why are we rioting when there's a pandemic we didn't want people like that to think that we supported them because we don't so what we'd both like to do is 
end giving you some resources that you can have a look at if you want to educate yourself and again arm yourself in conversations with with racists so that you can say mm, actually no you're wrong <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying it will necessarily change those people's point of view but it will challenge them and that's the important thing yeah and sometimes you don't always have to be as direct as you're wrong you can because a lot of the time when people are told that they're wrong they instantly they get in defensive mode they kind of it's like something you're challenging them they're backed against the wall no matter what you say it's not going to go in even if there's something along the lines of i understand i understand why you feel that way however i need you to think about it like this or you've been okay i can see your point of view but i need you to think about this instead or have you ever thought about it from this point of view and i know that pisses tanger off so much because there's so many times where she's just she's going like i'm gonna hit you in a minute i'm gonna kick you i'm gonna kick you i swear to god why can't you just be angry with me and i'm going yeah but do we have to be so angry <laughs> Yeah. As I said, my, my main thing from this, from doing this podcast, is that it's okay to be wrong from time to time. You're not going to get it right. And just try remember that even if you don't agree with absolutely everything that's going on, such as vandalism, such as things like looting and things like that, don't you're focusing on the wrong thing. Do you know what? I feel like, especially with this podcast, there's going to be people that will respond back to it and say that, yeah, you've you've got some things wrong as well. Yeah, that yeah. It's, as I said, I'm not going to say, oh yes, as a as a British white woman, yes, I hold the key to to understanding this entire thing. It's not. It's a constant learning curve, but I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to go down that route, and I'm willing to check my privileges and to help out where possible. One thing that's really irritating me is where people are comparing things they feel didn't generate enough public outrage to the protests. And what comes to mind is a Hemingway quote that is comparison is the thief of joy. And I think in this instance, comparison is the thief of compassion. You can be upset about more than one thing. It isn't a competition. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, one thing doesn't negate the other with that. For people that that don't follow UK news or anything like that, there was a there was a man called Lee Rigby who was attacked and beheaded in public in in broad daylight, and there was absolutely loads of uproar at the time. The people that were responsible for it were caught immediately after. They were tried. They're now in prison. Justice has been served, and incredibly swiftly because there was so much public outcry. And a lot of people have been comparing that with the Black Lives Matter. And a lot of the people that have been comparing it have often been saying, "Why are we saying our oh, Black Lives Matter when when Black people did this to this one white person?" And which, to be honest, it makes no flipping sense. They've got nothing to do with each other, and justice was served. Lee Rigby's mum has had to go onto social media to request 
them not to use her son's image. This is the first time she's had to do this because a lot of far-right folk uh, reuse the Lee Rigby incident when they're supporting idiots like Tommy Robinson and UKIP. Something that popped up on my Facebook, quite a popular uh, comedian, Jason Manford, I thought he, he summed it up quite well. So it was to a comment that somebody said that Lee Rigby mattered. He wasn't remembered by looting, burning and smashing up the cities and nobody ma- bothered to march on his behalf when two Muslim fuckwits cut his head off in the streets of Woolwich. Now, why was that? And he responded by saying it was literally on the front of every paper. There was national outrage and mourning. There were tributes, there were fundraisers, there were minute silence. The killers were condemned by political and Muslim leaders in the UK. Like, who would we have protested against? Terrorists? People with mental health problems? Evil itself? So the point is George Floyd wasn't killed by a random act of terrorism. He was murdered by a the very people whose job it is to protect him. He was treated a different way because of the colour of his skin. As, an, as a race, African-Americans were looted from their country of origin and enslaved in the States for 400 years. They've gone on to contribute in all aspects of American life and culture, from music to food to science to sports and countless other areas. Fighting in wars they never started and defending an American way that doesn't defend them. They live in the most deprived areas, their schools are the most poorly funded and they suffer the most poverty and malnutrition in one of the richest countries in the world. They suffer oppression every single day from workplace banter to outright vitriol and yes, sometimes death. So when a virus ripped through society, losing people's jobs that were literally keeping them alive as well as killing most more people of their race and anyone else, then people tend to get upset. And it's not because there's something in your genetic makeup that makes you susceptible to the virus. It's simply because of indelicate racism in place in our society. African-Americans are more likely to be in a job that's on the front line. So key workers are traveling on a public transport without access to expensive full health insurance to cover even the basic illnesses. So when you witness an actual murder on an unarmed African-American man on screen, not written about or spoken about, he was literally killed in front of your eyes by a white cop that even your own president won't publicly condemn, then yeah, on occasion you might feel like putting through a fucking window in the local target just to be noticed. And then he just ends it saying, I hope this helped educate you a little. I'll interject there. I think that's a really nice point that he's made because white people are happy to consume their culture, their music, their food, their films, but don't want to support them. Exactly. Well done, Jason. Well done, Jason. They tried quiet protests. Colin Kaepernick took the knee. And the response to that was the NFL making him unhirable. And people, and white people fucking burning the nights. Exactly. 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 So, if you want to be an ally, fantastic. One thing I will say is, do not go to your black friends or colleagues and ask them how to be an ally. They've carried this burden for 400 years, 500 years. It's time that we now, as white people, take some of that burden and educate ourselves on how to support them. And you will see a lot of this on Facebook, and I found quite a good example. And it says, 10 ways to allyship, and it's from horizontal with Lila allyship is is number one allyship serves at the surface level to platform the ally it makes a statement but doesn't go beneath the surface and is not aimed at breaking away from the systems of power that oppress so that but what that basically means is 
don't make it performative allyship. If you're saying that you want to be an ally, your actions need to speak to that. Don't just be like, Black Lives Matter, and then do nothing. Sorry to piggyback on the back of this, but for example, and I'll, I'll share the image with you later on, I, I, I do what I normally do when I first wake up is uh, I, I go on my phone and Twitter's been pinging more than normal because I've been a bit more vocal on there. And I say vocal, I've been retweeting stuff. But the the amount of people, like influencers, that have been going to the uh, the protests, holding up the signs, getting a picture, and then getting the fuck out of there. And even even Kendall Jenner, there's a picture of her holding up her arms with a sign that says Black Lives Matter. But then you can see in her shadow. She's not holding a sign. I know. But then look at L'Oreal. L'Oreal came out with a statement, Black Lives Matter, and the racism. They dropped Monroe Bergdorf last year or the year before because she said that racism was an issue and they didn't want to give her the platform to talk about that, so they fired her. If it's going to be performative, there's no point in you doing it. That's my opinion. Um, the second step to allyship is checking with your Black friends, family, partners, loved ones, and colleagues. This is an emotionally raw and traumatic time for them you don't understand it but you can stand with them uh, and by checking in we don't mean saying how can i help you should be saying i'm doing this to help be prepared to do the work understand that coming to terms with your own privilege is not a nice experience but it's something you have to do in order to be a real ally um it's necessary to feel all the feelings of guilt all the feelings of of shame and anger that is a necessary part of the process and if you don't go through that process of addressing your own privilege, again, your allyship is performative. Read, consume as much anti-racist literature as you possibly can. We've mentioned only two books so far. There are so many out there. Yeah, so some of the books that we definitely recommend that keep popping up again and again is Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edolon, was it Natives by Akala, Americana by Chimamanga Ngozi Adichie, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. I've got White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. One that I'm listening to on Audible at the moment is Me and White Supremacy, How to Recognise Your Privilege, Combat Racism and Change the World by Layla F. Saad. And we mentioned why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, which is uh, by Rennie Edo Lodge. White Privilege, The Myth of a Post-Racial Society by Kalwant Bofal. I've got a book intending to read called Brits-ish by Afu Hirsch which that is also, that's looking in terms of how Britain has done a lot of crimes with the, you know, with the British Empire as well. I think that's as well as checking my privilege as a white person, but also checking my privilege as a British person as well. Because do you know what? Because they don't teach you that kind of shit in school. Yeah. And that is, that's something that I've been made very aware of. Another thing that you can do for allyship, avoid sharing content, which is traumatic. Um, I'm saying this because we we listen to a lot of podcasts about murder and um, the like. So we are used to being in groups that share possibly traumatic content. But imagine being a black person and forever seeing on a never ending loop the death of George Floyd or the death of another black person. It is traumatic and we should not be sharing that content. And if we are, trigger warning, TW at the top, it, it takes two seconds. Even if your intentions are genuine, you still have to check yourself and ask yourself, is this content helping or is this content hurting? You can donate 
to funds, donate to funds that are in America or here. The Black Lives Matter movement has chapters now that I think are in a lot of countries. We will list a few on our Instagram page of places where you can donate. Another key to being a good ally, do not centre this narrative about you. It is not about you. You are not the central, integral part of the story. Again, while it's nice that you're trying to empathise, now is not the time to insert your own personal experience of that time that you felt you were being persecuted because that one time does not match up to the hundreds of thousands of times that a black person has to deal with. Even once this outrage has settled, it's not been shown on TVs, the Black Lives Matter movement's protests come to an end, don't make your allyship stop then. Otherwise, it's performative. It's not real. And as well, I think with a lot, obviously, the people that will be listening to this are adults, but it's definitely worth, though, actually talking to kids. 100%. Talking to kids about it, you know. Um, if you're not a reader, there are podcasts that you can listen to. Also, can we say most of those most of those books are available as audiobook as well, because I have to admit I'm not much of a reader because I like to do about 12 things at once. Also, most of those books are positive at the moment, are sold out on Amazon. So you can get them by ebook and audiobook. Uh, there's a couple of podcasts I want to highlight here. Um, Code Switch is a good one. They have um, episodes titled A Decade of Watching Black People Die. Uh, it's two black hosts that talk about how race impacts everything in America. That's covering politics, education, parenting, all the way down to um, sports. Another episode that's highlighted here is what does hood feminism mean for the pandemic? And then another one about how behavior gets policed and after the camera leaves. Uh, another podcast is called Still Processing. It's hosted by two black queer culture writers from the New York Times. It provides insights into how they process, learn and critique different topics. Um, they have special episodes on people like uh, Colin Kaepernick and episodes where they go to the National Museum of African American History. Um, the Daily is another one. It's hosted by a black man. Uh, I'm sorry, a black man. The episodes are around 20 to 30 minutes and they cover the nation's biggest stories. Uh, recent episodes include the systems that protect the police. I would say that is a very important one for you to listen to. Another one is 1619, which is a project helmed by racial injustice reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones. She talks about history all the way back to 1619, when it was the first arrival of 20 enslaved Africans. And she talks about how society has moved or rather not moved on from that. Pod Save the People is another one. It is hosted by some activists who analyse social issues, culture and politics in episodes that are around an hour. They talk about a lot of issues and they have one particular episode where they talk to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is Ibram X. Kendi, who is a fantastic author and I would definitely recommend his book. Um, there are also some films that I would recommend people watch anything directed by Spike Lee, anything. If you're into documentaries, I mentioned this earlier, the 13th time, the Khalif Browder story, there's the second episode of Trial by Media. There was a film that I watched recently and I said, I thought it was quite good to get the conversation going with kids. It's on Disney Plus called The Colour of Friendship. It's a true story actually as well. It's 
about a, an Amer a black American family that hosts a, a white South African girl in the time of apartheid. It makes a lot of references to South African activist Steve Bitko. And it kind of, yeah, and it literally, you know, especially with the fact that this, this girl from South Africa, whose dad is a police officer and holds racist views, comes along and has, and lives with this with this black family and I believe the person who who actually who wrote the story is actually an activist as well I mean it's it's a Disney it's a Disney mo original movie so these and it's from 2000 so there's there's definitely the uh, like the bass guitar going on and the funky music and all that, that sort of stuff and it's definitely it, it is it's for kids but I think it, it's a good, it's a good um, gateway. There are some great works of fiction that I would recommend as well, like uh, Alice Walker's The Colour Purple, Zora Neale Jones's Their Eyes Were Watching God is amazing. An American Marriage uh, is one that I've recently read that is, is quite pertinent at the moment. It involves uh, a black man being arrested and convicted for a crime he didn't commit, and then how his world crumbles while he's in prison. I think that's a, it's a really, really, really good read. Um, you know, you can just search on Google as well. It takes two seconds to search for content made by black authors. You can find us on Instagram at Two Girls One Mike UK, and we're on Facebook as well, Two Girls One Mike. Uh, if you've got any questions or comments, fire them at us. I think we're on Apple Podcasts now, so give us a good review. <laughs> Help us um, to get to a wider audience. That would be nice. More people hearing what we have to say because, you know, we're, we was, uh, I don't even know where the hell I was going with that. Um, just, yeah, never mind. I'm going to cut all this out. <laughs> Yeah, more people getting in touch and joining the conversation. Right, well, I don't know. What's the best way for us to end this damn thing? I never actually know. Um, thanks for listening. Join us next time when we um, talk about some other bullshit. <laughs> we don't know yet. We don't plan that far in advance for episodes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.